Good morning, everybody. And it's great to see you. Um, happy Thanksgiving, early Merry Christmas, uh, blessings. Um, such a such special time we've had in worship already. Um, so glad to be back. Uh, missed you guys at downtown. Uh, Want to say hello to all those at the Cove campus and um, just the chance that we have to just worship together what we've already experienced and where I, where I pray our hearts are going to be led and encouraged here through this time in God's word. Just really grateful for that. Just a lot of um, just support and care and generosity uh, extended to me uh, just through some time away and uh, to my family. So thank you for that. Lots of people just saying, hey, I've been praying for you. And that just, it means so much. It's just another kind of marker within this body of just so many people that are thinking of others, uh, gracious, generous. Um, generosity is just something that you guys do really well. And uh, to highlight just something as we're approaching the end of the year, uh, just to let you in on a, a, some leadership conversations. Every year, uh, River Tree just tends to do a really special uh, job of just giving uh, additional money. Uh, however the Lord is blessing you in your home, businesses, uh, you, there's an opportunity for some to just give extra towards the end of the year. Um, and River Tree just seems to do that uh, often. And so I, I guess I would love to just let you know as we're dreaming about next year, uh, how we're thinking about whatever gifts come in. We're at a really special time in the life of the church, not unlike where we were a few years ago uh, before Southside and River Tree began a conversation, before uh, the renovations happened here in the downtown campus uh, relaunched. But the church is debt-free, uh, and between the Cove and downtown campuses, there are just, just so many amazing people coming. And our, our thoughts are like, what does it look like next year? What, what's, what's God going to do? And, and it's not just numerical growth that we're curious about, but we want to get better at what we do in ministry as well. And so we're trying to pray about, God, what could it be? And so we're, as a leadership team, uh, elders and trustees have already are looking at like how to grow our reserve. It's a savings account that we've been putting money in for some time now. And to look at the end of the year giving as a way to just begin to put more money into savings so that we could just be ready for uh, whatever that project, whatever that ministry, whatever that initiative is. There's things happening at Cove and downtown that are just really wonderful. And so as you think about giving, know that we just want to save and to prepare. Uh, so some of that money is going to go into reserve. And then some, it's kind of a, a wish and a hope that we have that we would like to see uh, a really special ministry that's been at the Cove campus for years with our tree school program, kind of a mother's morning out. That's just been a blessing to our community. It's connected with so many people, just a great team. Holly and the people that have served through that ministry and led there have done a great job of just discipling kids and connecting with families in that area. We'd love to see if there's a way that that could open up and a tree school at the downtown campus become available for our church and, and, our, and our community and neighbors. We just think, man, what a great way to love families, love kids, something that we've Loved in the Cove area. And so we know there's some initial startup money that would be really great to have in hand so that we could begin to dream and make plans for a tree school downtown. So I, got, I just want you to hear what we're thinking about, what we're excited about. Uh, we just have this real hope that God's going to do something special in this next year. Uh, and it may be an opportunity to put some more seats in uh, one of our campuses and, and allow more people to come freely. It may be, how do we do ministries better? It may be even something that we don't even know yet. Like when we were thinking about building at Cove and adding that worship space there years ago, this conversation with Southside just came out of the blue. Uh, and it has been wonderful. And it's been uh, something that we've felt we've been very obedient and walking in. And so we're looking for that next step. So pray for us, you know, pray, pray together. God may be laying something on your heart about where we go next as a church and how we not only reach the city, but become even better uh, at bringing Christ forward and, and helping people know just how amazing he is. 
I want to transition towards uh, the message this morning. And I want to take your mind back to 1961. That may be too far for some of you. Uh, but in 1961, uh, the Russian leader uh, Nikita Khrushchev declared, as one of his cosmonauts returned from orbit, declared that we've been to space and we didn't find God. A New York magazine asked C.S. Lewis to write a response to that. And, and C.S. Lewis began to ponder, and one of the, his comments that he made about it, it's like going into outer space to find God is like Hamlet going into the attic of his castle looking for Shakespeare. And then he wrote this. He said, to some, God is discoverable everywhere. To others, nowhere. Those who do not find him on earth are unlikely to find him in space. But send up a saint in a spaceship and he'll find God in space as he found God on earth. Much depends on the seeing eye. I love, he's smart. He's just smarter than the rest of us. He's so good. It, here's, here's what Christmas says. Christmas, as we're approaching, as you're getting ready and your homes are getting ready and your presents are being purchased, Christmas says this, that God has been found on earth. He's here. He's come. He's shown himself. And, And what John is inviting us into as he begins to write this first chapter, he's like, what do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see a savior? Do you see a king? Do you see God? What do you see? Because if you see Jesus as God's revealed image to us, the radiance of God on the face of Jesus, if you see Jesus as God the Son, then you will see in a way that saves, you will see in a way that renews, you will see in a way that recreates, and will actually, you will step into a new life as if you have been born again. You'll start over, and it'll be the life that you were meant for. What do you see when you see Jesus? So look with me in John chapter one. We're gonna look at this first section, a couple of these verses we looked at last week, but just one through five, and then we're gonna move a little bit further into the chapter, but John begins. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So if if, if you're kind of watching this, like you're going to see some things that begin to stand out, things like in the beginning, uh, made, life, light, right? These are, these are creation themes. These are creation ideas that there's something happening that John is saying is like, it's echoing and yet it's new. It's, it's giving us a sense that Genesis is happening over again, but it's happening through a person uniquely and different. So a point to touch on, I just, I just want to hit this just for a couple minutes. Uh, other religions, I would include Jehovah's Witness is part of that, uh, believe that Jesus is divine, but that he is also created, that he's godly, but he's not God. And it's a, it's a, it's a misinterpretation of John chapter 1, 1. It's a, and so their translation, 
They would believe that God was with God and the, the word was with God and the word was a God, right? That's the misinterpretation that Jehovah's Witness believed that through Jesus, everything was created, but Jesus himself was also made, that Jesus himself was also created. Maybe you've run into that conversation before and you're not quite sure what to do with it when you hear an idea like that, but I would just say like, even if we don't go into the Greek of John 1.1, verse three helps us with this idea. Verse three quickly sees the error in believing that Jesus was made. Because in verse three, it says, all things were made through him. John states this positively, that all things were made through the word. All things were made through Jesus. But then he says it in the negative. He says, without him, nothing was made that was made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. There is the maker, right? And then there is the made. There is the creator and there is the creation, right? The maker cannot also be made. The, the creator cannot also be of the creation. So Jesus can't be made because nothing that was made was made without him. Does that, does that make sense? He, he couldn't make himself, right? Jesus, if he's part of the made of creation, then it goes against what verse three is communicating. That verse three stands up as giving us the pre-existent identity of Jesus as God the Son who was in the beginning whom all things were made for, and nothing was made that was made without him. But John's point, John's point is the world is the words. The world, all of it, is the words. I know when I come to church on Sunday, I can often be right here with you thinking about God's love. Uh, we sing songs about forgiveness and, and salvation, and there's a certain experience that we kind of appreciate and reflect upon with the cross and the resurrection and what that does as saving us, the salvation that it secures. But then I can leave and I can walk out into the world and forget that the world is also Jesus. It's his, all of it. That He's not just a savior, but he is actually over all things. The world is Christ's that God is doing more than just saving souls. I mean, that's what John is trying to tell us. John writes that the world is his. Through him, everything was made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That the Lord has this kind of cosmic reach and cosmic purpose. And there's going to come a day where Jesus deals with evil and, and removes it and sets the cosmos right. We don't live in a, 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 a dualistic world where there is kind of good and evil, kind of balancing one of the, this is not a yin and yang kind of life that we live, where there is a light and a dark and a, and a positive and a negative, and you need both of those to create balance. What we understand through the scriptures is that sin is a stowaway. Sin is within, evil is within creation, but it is, it's hijacked it. And, and there's going to come a time where evil is dealt with. And so Christianity says that right now, evil is allowed, but the world is Christ's. It's his, it's all his. So this verse is like, it's loaded. What he's talking about in the beginning and what Jesus made, and there's nothing that's been made that wasn't made through him. It's kind of loading this, this sense of hope for us that there will be a day when the very character and nature of Jesus, all of who he is, gets fully expressed through creation itself that the one who created it, 
the one who spoke it into existence, the one by whom all of it is made for, the one who holds it all together, there's going to come a day, church, where everything we see will fully declare the character and nature of its creator, of the one who made it. Regardless of what we see right now, regardless of how hard it is right now, verse four says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. God is challenging and pushing back darkness in Genesis chapter one. God is speaking and there's life. God is speaking and there's light. And now here again, we see it's happening again. That's what John is saying. There's something recreationist happening through Jesus. God is speaking again and life and light are coming forward. It's happening. In him was life. Life was and is in Jesus. Life was and is in Jesus. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, his only begotten loved son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have what? Have life, have eternal life, right? So Jesus has come, John three sixteen, that you might have life, eternal life, not perish. John 10, 10, for the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have what? What does Jesus say? Life and to the fullest, right? Or, or in abundance. So Jesus has come, that you might have life eternal, life overflowing, life abundant, life without ending, right? This is this idea of what is eternal life, right? It's this ongoing life. It's a life without limit. It's a life with no end. Eternal life is a life that is as deep as it is wide, right? It, if you can stop it, if you can narrow it down, if you can shrink it, it's not eternal life at that point, right? It's this persistent, ongoing life, right? A life that can't diminish or it's not eternal. That's what Jesus is bringing. And so a life that can't be reduced, but is ongoing and ongoing and ongoing is a life that can't be lost. Can't be lost because the very nature of this life is Christ's life. It's him. Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. So if Christ now lives within the believer, that's what Paul is talking about, that his life is now changed, so changed that Jesus himself now takes resident in him by the spirit of God and Christ's life is now in Paul pressing out. Then what he's saying is the life that Jesus gives us is a prevailing, enduring, persevering, sustaining, securing life because Jesus is prevailing, sustaining, persevering, overcoming. Do you hear that? Like, that's what, this is what Jesus is offering us. Like, if you just thought it was a life that was going to help you limp by, if you just thought it was a life that was just going to give you finally access into forgiveness, some kind of grace, maybe heaven, it's far bigger than that. It's Christ's life in you. And that life has been from the beginning by which everything was created and made. And it is the life of men. It's what we were made for. Jesus is coming that we might have that. In him was life and life is what Jesus gives. He gives this. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. It says that God formed Adam out of the dust. I right? kind of fashioned him together. And I don't know what happened there. I, they kind of built him like, maybe he looks kind of like Plato or something. I don't know what he looks like, but you get this idea that God forms Adam and then, then in verse seven, it says that he breathed. God breathed and, and this wind, this breath went into Adam through his nose and it says he became a living being. 
breathed life into him. John chapter 20, Jesus goes into the room with the disciples. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And then he gathers them around. You know what he does? He breathes on them. Now, if all things were made through Jesus, if he's the one by which everything was made, he holds it together, that he's the agent, the catalyst, the part of creation, then was, was Jesus blowing into Adam? It's a fascinating idea because Jesus gets with the disciples and he breathes on them again. And the Holy Spirit comes into them and, oh man, like this, they come to life. Like this is what, not only is life in Jesus, but Jesus has come to give it. Come that you might, that you might have it. In this life, right, this life that Jesus gives, if it's the life from the beginning, because Jesus is from the beginning, if it's the original life, then it is what is most true about you. If it's a life that goes all the way back to the beginning, then it speaks to who we are and to our design and to what we were made for better than anything else. In other words, when someone receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they actually become themselves. We have all this concern when we share the gospel. Right? There's this trepidation that we have of being offensive or like, being uncomfortable when we're trying to bring out these areas of faith and we're having these conversations and we're not trying to offend. Do you know that when you share Jesus with somebody and that person accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior, they actually become themselves. What they were meant for. A life that they were designed for from the beginning. A forever enduring, prevailing, eternal life becomes their experience from that point on. Because Jesus is eternal, prevailing, overcoming. Do you hear this? Like, this is what they get, and this is what we were meant for, and this is why it's so good. So what do you see when you see Jesus? When you look at him, a role model? Savior? God? Verse 6. Listen to what John continues to write. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, true light, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. John then says, Jesus is not only the life of men, but he is the true light. He's the true light. And when John highlights this, he's, he's pushing Jesus forward for us as something that's true compared to what is not, something that is full compared to something that is partial. And the world is full of partial lights. If you were just to stop and think about things that are uh, enlightening for us, uh, good, uh, things that are encouraging, that people give themselves to, there are all kinds of partial lights. Technology, progress, Diplomacy, it's a partial light. Education, like these things are good. We know they have value. They, know, they make us better people. Material prosperity is a partial light. Everyone knows that having food and shelter and clothing is better than not. Having prosperity is better than being in poverty. But a materially prosperous person doesn't, isn't necessarily close to God. Those things are partial lights. Those are things that we give ourselves to. Those are things that we think will fulfill us and, and kind of set our lives into a place of satisfaction, but they don't. 
They never have. And John is saying that there's a true light, one that really gives us insight into who God is, into who we are, and this light comes with life. But if we miss this light, we're just fumbling around in the dark. And isn't the world? I feel like the whole world is what it's like to get up at midnight and go to the bathroom. You do that. I mean, you get out of bed, right? It's dark. You're kind of fumbling your way, you know, around. You hope that nobody's left anything in this path. It's a fairly well-worn path, but you're kind of feeling your way through. You're in the dark. You're stumbling around. I know this. If I get up and go to the right to the bathroom, I can get there pretty safely. But a few times now, I've gotten up and gone left into the house. There's just a little bit of light that comes down the hallway from our bedroom to the rest of the house. And so I can tell that the door is open. I just can't always tell how open the door is. And so I remember just kind of getting up, seeing that the door was open, there's a little light coming, and just catching the door, like right in the forehead. So now when I get up, I go to the right, I'm fine. But if I get up and go to the left, I kind of walk like this. (laughs) You know, I just don't want to catch the door. Like John is saying, like, the whole world is in this place, stumbling around in the dark, looking for true light. What will really bring you fulfillment what you were really meant for, what you would really be designed for. And Jesus himself actually says this, not just John, Jesus steps forward at one point and says, I am the light of the world. Let me tell you when he does this. In Israel during Jesus' time, there were these different feasts and celebrations. And one of the feasts that everyone looked forward to was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a pilgrimage feast. So no matter where you lived, you made your way to Jerusalem during this eight-day celebration. And so everybody, everybody shows up in Jerusalem, and during this feast uh, and celebration, they are remembering the protection and care of God while Israel wandered in the wilderness. So God fed them. Uh, God resourced them. God even led them at different points by, by a, a column of fire at night and smoke during the day. Right, so they, they sit back and they build these tents. They build these kind of you know, temporary shelters and everybody just camps out all over Jerusalem for this eight-day celebration to eat and drink and dance and be with family and remember the provision and care of God. Now, there was one tradition that began to form and one thing that happened was in the temple, they, they lit a light. Now, it was a particular part of the temple in the treasury of the temple and they... They, uh, they constructed these golden lampstands, and these lampstands were seven stories tall, 75 feet high, four of them, each having four bowls at the top of them, kind of a, a candelabra. And so these four 75-foot candlesticks, uh, the priests would ascend, and they would pour oil into these, to these bowls that would hold five to ten gallons of oil, and then they would, on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light these lamps. Now, Jerusalem's temple was like above everything else. And so these four magnificent lampstands would be blazing and burning for the next seven days. And and at night, the whole city would be lit up. The whole city would see these lights. It was And they would dance and they would sing and they would celebrate and they would talk about the glory of God in the temple. They'd talk about the light that they would see. But on the eighth day of the Feast of, Celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles, they would end the celebration and it was more of a solemn, holy assembly. And it would reflect what Isaiah said in chapter 60, verse 19. Isaiah writes, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord 
The Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. That last day there was this hope. They would turn out the lights on these candlesticks and they would pray this prayer that God, you be our light. Let us live by your glory in a way in which we don't even need the sun or the moon. Let the glory of God return to his people, return to his temple. That was the prayer that they were praying on the last day. And in John chapter 8, it says Jesus, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, went into the temple treasury and he said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Could you imagine? Maybe it was right at the point they are extinguishing those candlesticks. Jesus speaks up. I am the light that will never go out. I am the light that shines on. And if you will follow me, Jesus says, you will have life. You'll have what you look for. You'll have what you need. What a fantastic moment for Jesus to show us who he is. So John moves forward. Verse 10 of John 1. It says, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So the first section of John's prologue is about the kind of the glory of God, the significance of God. Like we're in a section right here where you're seeing something dark, like you're, see, you're hearing the depravity of man, the fallenness of man that the creator of the world would come into and yet the creation would not know it, would not recognize it. It's as if you went to Robert Trent Jones and to play golf this afternoon and Tiger Woods was in your foursome and you didn't recognize him? You're shooting ball down at the YMCA and LeBron James is with his son and nobody sees him. Nobody knows who that is. Like the, the world didn't see, the world didn't recognize, but the scriptures highlight even something more than that. It's not that the world just didn't recognize him, but the world resisted it. The world resisted Jesus when he showed up it's what happens when you meet somebody smart who makes better grades than you. You think, I bet they cheat. That's what you think. It's when you meet somebody who's successful in a business very much like yours, and you go like, I bet they have family money. I bet they did something under the table to kind of get where they are today. It's when you meet somebody who's really good looking, you go like, they've had work. <laughs> it, it, it's what we do. You will meet somebody who's smarter, better, more virtuous than you, better at your hobby than you are, and it will bring you into a crisis of self-worth. It will, it will bring out our identity. What happens when Jesus shows up in our midst, when you meet the most pure, the best, the one whose life is fully unto God without sin? What happens is then those of you who are the best of us you find out that even the best things that you've done are like garbage compared to Jesus, like garbage compared to him. It's that moment, guys, when you get a fresh new three-pack of white under T-shirts. You open those things up and you set them next to the ones that you've been wearing and you're like, oh my goodness. The ones that I've been wearing are like yellow. There's a gray one in here. 
You didn't know until all of a sudden the new showed up. But then you start realizing like, man, what have I been wearing? And when we only have yellow undershirts to compare with, you don't know how bad it is. In other words, what, what we're realizing is like we're all rooting to be the valedictorian of our class, but you don't realize that we're just a class of robbers and thieves. We, we don't want what Jesus brings. It's not that we just didn't recognize him. We resisted him. John 3.19 says this, and this is the judgment. Right after it talks about giving the son for life, John 3.19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. We don't like the truth that we're needy. We don't like being told that we're desperate. We don't like being told that we're dead and sinful and selfish and that you're going to hold us accountable to things. Nobody likes that message. I want to push back on that message. And that's what happened with Jesus. The world wasn't ready. The world wasn't looking. The world wasn't interested. When Jesus showed up, the innkeeper told Mary and Joseph, there's no room for you. King Herod killed all the babies under two years old so that this new king, this long-awaited-for king, could be disposed of. And the religious leaders who had been gifted shepherds of this community, who had the Torah, who had the prophecy, who had the scriptures, when Jesus showed up in their midst, they put him on the cross. We didn't just not recognize him, we resisted him. We rejected him. The very life and light we needed, we rejected We wanted a Messiah. We wanted a king, but we wanted a king who would conform to our image, not a king or a Messiah that made us to conform to his. And this is the state of the world. Like if these two verses highlight this, it's the the fallenness, it's the brokenness of the world. It shows how closed off we've been. It shows that we've been hurt too. It doesn't take a lot for you to experience in this world, it didn't take that many years for you to have in this life to become skeptical, to lose some trust. There's a certain amount of betrayal. There's a certain amount of abuse that you will experience in this life, and then it is shields up. And we protect ourselves and isolate ourselves. And it takes a lot for us to accept the acceptance of God. And so what does God do? He he sends the son personally so that we could know that God's not left us, that there's a light and a life in Jesus, that there's something for us more to experience. God sends the son right into our desperate plight and situation so we could know, so we wouldn't miss it. John 1 verse 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So if the world was hopeless, right? If the world has been lost, there's still some who believed. That's John's highlighting that. There were some who saw Jesus and saw for who, it's a beautiful verse that kind of, kind of comes right after this very dark picture that John is creating. To believe in Jesus, to believe that he is the glory and expression of God, to see him for who he is, is to be saved and to know the truth about God and ourselves and for our lives to be so changed that it's like you were reborn and that 
and that you would actually become a child in God's family. That's, that's the great possibility that John is offering us, the great possibility of being new. It means this, that God is all behind starting over. He's behind it. He's for it. He, he's engineering it. And the believer becomes a child. You become a child. Which means it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter your family background, your ancestry.com, your heritage, your social class. You get to start over as one of God's kids. A kid. I had this conversation with a teenage girl, and she said, uh, you may not know this, but I was an accident. She began to tell the story of how her parents were pregnant with her out of wedlock, and they made the decision to get married, um, and, and with the best intentions to begin to put together a home and a life for their family, but she found through the ups and downs of her family at some point, kind of, understood that she was not planned. And that, that detail of her being an accident became, became part of her story, something that she was dealing with. We all have families full of accidents. There's lots of hard things we all walk through, things that we regret, bad decisions that we've made or have been made on us. Your life and my life has dealt with things unplanned. And yet, that is not true about God's family. Nobody gets into God's family by accident. In fact, the plan was orchestrated from the beginning of time that through all of our sin, through all of our lostness, through all of our darkness, that God at an appointed time at a moment in history would send his son so that you might have life and light and hope. From the beginning of time, God has been working and orchestrating and directing so that your entry into his family would only have purpose and would have his work behind it. Not a decision that we would somehow make, but that the son would go to the cross with joy and endure it in such a way that you might be part of this new family. So consider, consider what John is saying. Consider what he's opening up to. He's bringing us to this place where hopeless sinners are realizing that if they see Jesus for all of who he is, there's a real way to change. There's a new life and a new light available in him. And what I love about this John chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, he goes on, he says, the light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. That's the first time John uses something that's present tense. Before that, John's been talking about where Jesus was and what he was doing prior. But now in verse 5, he says, light shines. And what he's saying is, Jesus' life and light shines on. It doesn't stop. It's continuing and it doesn't matter what happened in his life and ministry, even through the cross and all of its darkness and horror, when Jesus comes out the other side through the resurrection, the resurrection says, it was him, God the Son, with us. It declares him in his identity of who he is, and that continues to shine on. That's meant to give us hope that no matter how difficult your life is, no matter how dark and undone the world is, this light continues to shine. 
continuing to give you and I hope, continue to invite people in. It works even today. Like if you're here this morning and you're hearing this message for, for, for the first time and you're unsure, like I don't know what I believe about Jesus. If you will see Jesus as God's son sent for you to die on the cross for your sins, if you'll see him that way, you'll be made new. You start over. You become part of this new family. And for the rest of us, whatever you think is going to happen tomorrow, the end of it is Jesus' light and life shining. It's where it's all going. No matter what you're dealing with today, where this is all headed, and that light and that life will never be put out. I hope this morning, as we move towards a time of reflection on the Lord's Supper, and just asking the worship teams at both campuses to get ready. I hope this morning your heart would just be encouraged by what you see John offering us. That there is really something about Jesus as life and light that's available to you. And it doesn't matter who you are. That anyone, anyone who believes in this can be saved. Anyone who believes in this can be changed. Let's pray. As we pause, just begin to move our hearts towards a time of reflection and worship. Listen to what Isaiah, kind of a a Christmas prophecy offers us in verse two of chapter nine. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God said, let light shine out in darkness and he has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Listen to John's invitation this morning, church. He's inviting us to come and see Jesus. Mm, Because what you get with Jesus is what you get with God. What you see in Jesus is what you get with God. And anyone can believe this. Anyone, anyone can become a child of God. That something can happen in your life by seeing Jesus that will, it just causes people to become new. And the life that he gives us, oh, it only continues. It doesn't turn off. Thank you, Jesus, for what we see. Have our hearts lifted this morning. Have our 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 hopes lifted, have our faith renewed, have our devotion and love for you just move to new places of worship and wonder because how much you love us, because you came, because of your sacrifice and because of the life that now we have in you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.